Let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter 3. Somehow, if I've got my records straight, it has been, um, it's been several weeks since we last dealt with this, and so I will need to do at least a brief review to bring everyone up to speed, and we'll do that momentarily, but let's get right into the letter that we're going to be studying tonight, Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14, Revelation 3 and verse 14, let's, uh, amen, let's read, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Now, before I go any farther, I just want to point out, in case you haven't noticed, if you have a red letter edition of your Bible, this is Jesus speaking. This is one of the reasons why I said on Sunday Jesus was not a wimp. He was not effeminate. He was not afraid to deal with things that needed to be dealt with. And he's talking now to people that are supposed to be Christians. And he said, let me tell you what you really are. You're wretched. You are miserable. You are poor and blind and naked. Oh, he didn't pull any punches, did he? He just told it like it was. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. This verse has been used countless thousands of times by preachers in making an appeal to sinners that Jesus stands at your heart door and knocks. He's not speaking to sinners. To use it in that way is a misapplication of the Scripture. He's not speaking to sinners. He's speaking to a church. Church. 
And he says to the church, I'm outside. You may be inside having service, but I'm outside knocking on the door. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so tonight we pick up in our study the letter to Laodicea. This is part three of that study. Amen. Praise God. Let's put our Bibles down. We're going to pray. We also received a prayer request a few moments ago. Um, Brother Larson, who is not able to be here tonight, is a friend of his um, named Michael Coffer, has been missing since last Friday. And they are requesting prayer for his safe return. So as we pray over this message, let's also pray for Michael Coffer, for the family and friends, and ask the Lord to bring him safely home. Let's pray together, everyone, right now. Lord, in Jesus' name, I come to you, God. I ask for Jesus for your help tonight. I need the touch of God. I need your strength. I need your anointing. God, I can't do this without your help. So I plead, God, for your mercy. I ask for your touch. I ask, God, for your presence tonight to be with us. We need the help of the Holy Ghost. Grant me an anointing, God. Anoint the ears of the hearers. We need you tonight. We need you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. Now again, I want to do a few moments of review tonight to kind of bring you up to speed. And uh, thank you, Brother Hilton, for getting that chair. I This is one of those nights I'm just not feeling at uh, my best, and I think it will help to be able to sit down and teach tonight. So bear with me. Let me, let me just remind you of a few things here tonight. Laodicea was a well-known city in the ancient world, and it was known because it was an extremely wealthy city. It was the center of much of the banking community in that time period. Laodicea was also a city that was known for manufacturing and known for medicine. 
And so they had a lot going on in the city of Laodicea. However, they lacked their own good water supply. And so they used their wealth to develop a system of aqueducts that would bring water to their city. We'll say more about that perhaps in a few moments. But the city of Laodicea was situated between two other uh, well-known cities, and they were the cities of Hierapolis, which was known for its hot springs. People would come there and bathe. They would go to Hierapolis for the healing properties that many believe can be found in these natural hot springs. On the other side of Laodicea was the city of Colossae. This is the city to which the epistle to the Colossians was written. Colossae was a city that also had springs of water, but they were not hot springs. They were very cold, clear sparkling springs and these springs also thought uh, were thought to bring a type of healing to those who could get to Colossae and partake of that cold clear water Laodicea was in between the hot springs and the cold And that's significant for what the Lord said to them. Now, we don't know who founded the church of Laodicea. We talked about that. I'm not going to go into that tonight. It's not really that important to the study. We do know that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Laodicea. He said that he did. Uh, we read about it in the book of Colossians. He mentions having written a letter to Laodicea. We don't have that letter. There are no copies of that letter. Um, that should not bother us. That should not disturb us. Uh, the fact that Paul wrote a letter to Laodicea, he also evidently, it appears, wrote a third letter to Corinth that we don't have. But that doesn't bother me. Because let me tell you, the Apostle Paul was a man like any other men. The Apostle Paul was not infallible 24-7. What I do believe is that every letter we have was divinely inspired of God and there is no mistake in the letters we possess. Why we don't have the third letter to the Corinthians, why we don't have the letter to the Laodiceans, I don't know. It could be any number of reasons. Perhaps the things written in those letters were only pertinent to those cities at that time. Perhaps they were going through things that were not relevant to anyone else. Perhaps Paul said something in the letter that wasn't divinely inspired. 
That doesn't shake my faith in what we have. Is everybody with me? I believe that what we have was preserved by God. It was not only anointed by God to be written. It was preserved by God because it was anointed. And if it wasn't preserved, God chose not to preserve it. Our God is big enough to keep anything he wants us to have. So I'm not bothered by any of that. Um, of course it would be interesting if somebody were to find a copy of that letter. Uh, that would be very interesting to know what Paul said to Laodicea. Uh, we don't know. We just don't know. And it's obviously not important to us. Now when we look at Laodicea, the very name itself means people's rights or the judgment of the people. The people speak. Now the significance of this is that the idea and the concept was that this church was not following spiritual forms of government. But instead, it was being run um, by a group of laity. Not spiritual leaders, but just the members of the church. Evidently had control of the church. And let me just say this about that. Uh, this is the one church to which God had nothing good to say. Now in every other letter that we've read, God has found something good. He, he told Ephesus they'd left their first love, but long before he ever said that, he commended them for the good things they were doing. Whether it was Sardis or Smyrna or Thyatira, every other church, God found something good about that church. But Laodicea, he couldn't find anything good. This letter and this letter alone is filled with correction and a suggested cure, but no commendation. I have to believe that that's because this church was not following spiritual guidelines, but trying to follow the carnal mind. Well, hallelujah. Is anybody going to help me tonight? Now, another thing that we see, and this backs up what I just said, is that to every other church, he addressed the church in Ephesus, the church in Sardis, the church in Thyatira, the church in Philadelphia. But to this church, when you read the letter, he wrote it to the church of the Laodiceans. Not the church that existed in that city, but the church that belonged to those people. This was their church, bless God. And they were going to control it. And unfortunately, I've dealt with those kind. And I want to tell you, if you want to control it, go ahead. But God will step outside. 
as he did with Laodicea. It's either his church or your church. But he doesn't share ownership. Now, we can call it our church in the sense that we've bought into it, we're members of it, but never in the sense that we own it. And, and listen to me, saints. I want to say this. I know I'm still in review, but I want to say this. Sometimes people get the idea that because I contribute, therefore, I put my $5 in. There's not an offering plate that passes that I don't stick a dollar in there. So you listen to me. Let me tell you something. When you give, you should be giving it to God. And what happens to it from there is between God and whoever is going to take charge of it. But if you, if you try to hold on to it, you never really gave it. If I hand you the keys to my car and say, I'm giving you my car, and then you drive it downtown and I pull you aside and say, wait a minute, what are you doing with that car downtown? You need to keep it close at hand. Somebody might hit that car. Well, wait, I thought you gave it to me. Well, I gave it to you, but I'm telling you how to control it. Well, then you didn't give it. If you have control, you still own it. Oh, praise God. I might get to feeling better here in a minute. Hallelujah. And so their form of government was so out of whack that the Lord didn't even identify it as the church in Laodicea. It was the church that belonged to the Laodiceans. It was their church, not his. Now, when we started looking at the letter, which we actually did get into the introduction of the letter in our last lesson, we didn't get very far into the introduction, but we did get into the introduction. Uh, I pointed out to you, as I've done in other cases, that the way the Lord identifies himself is significant. With each of these letters, he identified himself in a different way. And this was the case with Laodicea. And so let's go ahead and read chapter 3, verse 14 again. And um, we've talked about part of this, but we did not finish this verse. So we're going to come back and finish it tonight. And in so doing, we are beginning into new territory. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. I still have lots of time to cover new territory tonight. So let's get started. Of course, I haven't finished the review just yet, but. We're close. All right. Revelation 3, verse 14, read. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Of the Laodiceans. There you see it for yourself. That's what he said. Read. Right. These things These saith, things the, saith amen. the amen. That's the first way he identified himself. We talked about this in our last lesson. The amen, which means so be it. The faithful. Now, now, now hang on. So be it. What he's doing is he's stressing to them that whatever comes out of his mouth is going to come to pass. Right. 
Now listen, because he's about to tell Laodicea some things that are pretty strong. And he wants to remind them, I am the amen. I am the so be it. When I pronounce something, whether it be blessing or judgment, so be it. Then he says, thus uh, these things saith the amen. The faithful. The faithful and true, and true witness. That's the second way he identified himself. And again, we talked about this in the previous lesson. The faithful and true witness. Uh, once again, he's just confirming the fact that whatever he says is accurate. Now, I see a difference between the amen and the faithful and true witness. In calling himself the amen, what he's doing is he's saying, whatever I pronounce will come to pass. In calling himself the faithful and true witness, what he's saying is, I call it as I see it, but I'm faithful and true in declaring what I see. So when he says to them, you're wretched and naked and blind and poor, he's doing it as a faithful and true witness. He's testifying to Laodicea, this is what I have witnessed with my own eyes. Is everybody comprehending what I'm telling you? A lot of people through the years have taken the stand and claimed to be witnesses on things but they've tainted their witness with their own opinions, tainted their witness uh, perhaps with their desired outcome. And the Lord is saying to Laodicea, you don't have to worry about any of that. When I take the stand and I start saying what I saw, that's what I saw. I'm faithful and I'm true. You may see yourself in a different light. Are you hearing me? I don't expect us to be running the aisles on this lesson. You know, we talk about Philadelphia. That's the, that's the lesson lessons we ran the aisles on. This is one we're going to have to do some soul searching on. But he says to Laodicea, I know how you see yourself. I know how you describe yourself. But I want to tell you that the way you see yourself is not right. And I am the faithful and true witness. How you see yourself doesn't matter anymore. You need to listen to what I say you are. Because I'm faithful and true in my witness. Well, praise God. Then, and this is where we get into tonight's lesson, he gives a third identification. And what is that? The beginning of the creation the of God. The beginning of the creation of God. The beginning of the creation of God. <clears throat> the Bible says... The spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. She is also on preacher's pulpits. So I just took care of that, praise God. <laughs> if you wondered what I was doing just then, um, <clears throat> this spider will not take hold of anything else with its hands, I can promise you. Um, 
especially me. All right. So, the third way in which he identified himself, he is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, this, this might be a troublesome way to identify Christ in the minds of some. So let me share with you. One commentator said, and I quote, the phrase used here is susceptible properly of only one of the following significations. Namely, either A, that he was the beginning of the creation in the sense that he caused the universe to begin to exist. He's not saying that he was the first thing created. Are you with me? Jesus was not the first thing created. God was not created. But he was the beginning of creation. He is where creation began. Without God, there was no creation. Now, this commentator says that's one of the choices. He says a second choice is that he was the first created being. We know that's not the case. The third choice that this man offers is that he holds the primacy over all and is at the head of the universe, which to me simply coincides with the first one. Since he is where creation began, he is therefore over all creation. And I believe that's exactly what he's saying to the church at Laodicea. He wanted them to understand that he was the creator and the originator of everything. Why is that significant to the Laodiceans? Because they were wealthy. Because they had lots of possessions. Because they were healthy. Physically. Carnally. And he said, I want you to know any wealth you obtain... I created it. You couldn't have anything if I didn't make it first. The fact that you're healthy is not because you're so smart and not because you're so good. It's because I've granted it to you. He's the beginning of all creation. He's the head over everything. It was God's provision. It was God's providence that allowed them to have anything they had. It was not because they were so good and so smart. Let me tell you, everything that I've read about Laodicea and the people uh, in that city, including within the church, says to me that they were a cocky, proud, arrogant bunch of people. And I'm telling you, when you stop and think about the fact that God is the one that's over everything, and God's the one that created everything, and God controls everything, and God gives, and God takes away, that kind of kicks the cockiness out of you. Everything we have is because of God. Wealth is because of God. 
Health is because of God. Ability is because of God. And the Laodiceans needed to understand that. So not only was he the amen, and whatever he pronounced would come to pass. Not only was he the faithful and true witness, and however he saw it was the right perspective, but he was also the beginning of all of creation. And whatever they had, they needed to stop and thank God they had it. Well, praise God. This cocky attitude caused them to have the feeling, I can do it on my own. I don't need God. I don't have to pray. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to listen to anybody else. I've got the answers. I'm smart enough. God forbid that any of us ever reached that place. Saints of God, I, I've been living for God for 50 years. I've been reading the Bible for 50 years. I've been praying for 50 years. Can I tell you, I still pick it up and learn new things. After 50 years, who in this world could possibly have an attitude that I don't need to read that book? I know what I'm doing. Oh, no, you don't. I, look, I'm not trying to be offensive tonight. I said it Sunday morning. I just, I just need to do a little pastoring, that's all. But I'm going to tell you, if you reach the place that you think you don't need somebody else, you're too cocky and arrogant for God to do anything with you. The moment that you get to the place that you don't need anybody else, you have pushed God outside. I want to tell you, saints of God, I need you. I can't make it on my own. I need my brothers and sisters. I was rushing around tonight to get here, but I got a call from a dear brother who's going through a very difficult situation, a preacher. He's been pastoring longer than I have. And he said, I need some advice. I need some help. And you're the first one that came to mind. How do you just say, oh, I'm sorry. I got, I, I got things to do. I, I, I can't talk to you right now. But I want to tell you something about it, something about it that I appreciate was here was a man with much more experience than I've got who still says, I don't know it all. I need help from somebody else. Saints of God, the greatest thing you can ever do is develop an attitude that says, I need my brothers, I need my sisters, I need a pastor. If not, you're going to get the spirit of Laodicea. Or you may already have it. Now let me tell you, this is what happens when you get that attitude, I don't need anybody. This is what happens. Let's read on, verses 15 and 16. Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16. I know thy works. Now, he has said this to every church, I know your works. Sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. 
Depends on what your works are. That's right. Depends on what kind of works you're doing. Oh, our works don't matter. Oh, yeah, they do. They do matter. They matter to God. I'm not telling you you can be saved by works. I'm telling you God examines your works, and he either approves or disapproves. And if you've got the disapproval of God, you're going to find yourself in a heap of trouble. I know thy works. And then he begins to tell them. What does he know about them? That thou art neither cold. You're neither cold. Nor hot. Nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Well, now, now, look, we understand now, I think better, when I started teaching about Laodicea, I think some of you got a little better understanding as to why God used this terminology to Laodicea about cold and hot. When you understand the hot springs of Hierapolis and the cold springs of Colossae and Laodicea being right in the middle of the two. And there are those who believe that the aqueduct system that they developed actually piped in from both of those cities merged before they got to Laodicea. And the the hot water of Hierapolis would then be cooled by the cold water of Colossae. And once it was being piped into Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Now, that cannot be proven, and so I won't state it as a fact. It makes sense. As one of my teachers in college said, it makes a good chart. Some of you don't understand that terminology, but back in the day, Bible teachers all had charts, and they'd teach off these charts that they had. And so my instructor, if, if something that was being taught wasn't necessarily scriptural, uh, maybe not even logical sometimes, <laughs> then his statement was, well, you know, it would look good on a chart. <laughs> People might believe it if they saw it on a chart somewhere. So all I can say about the water being merged at Laodicea, it makes a good chart, sounds good. I don't know if it's true or not, so I won't submit it as truth. What I do know is it didn't have to be the case to get the picture. Living in Laodicea, they understood what he was saying when he went on to say, I would that you were either hot or cold. That you were either like Hierapolis or like Colossae. But you're neither. Now, the word cold ought to be self-explanatory. But just in case, let me just remind you that Hebrews 12.29, we won't take time to read it, but Hebrews 12.29 says that our God is a consuming fire. God is a fire. Now, where fire is, 
There is no cold. Where cold is, there is either the absence of fire altogether or not enough fire to address the cold. Right? I mean, you walk outside mid-January in Kansas, let the temperature be zero, and strike a match, it's not going to get you very warm. You got a fire. But it's not going to do much for the bitter cold that's surrounding you. You understand what I'm saying? So it doesn't necessarily mean there's no fire, but there's not enough. And so if God is a fire, those who are spiritually cold, Again, either don't have a fire at all, meaning God's presence, or they don't have enough to adequately deal with their spiritual condition. Neither of those is a situation in which I would want to find myself. Right? So those who are cold would be in a terrible spiritual condition. Either God's not present or they don't have much of God. Got a lot more carnality than they've got God. The other side of this is I would that you were hot. Now, this word hot comes from the Greek word zestos. Does that sound familiar? You think of something being zesty? That's where our English word zesty comes from. It's from the Greek word zestos. See, I told you during one of these lessons many months ago, you know more Greek than you think you do. Zestos. The word zestos means boiling. Now, are you getting this? So here are the two sides that Jesus talks about. He talks about being cold or being boiling. And evidently, if you're not one of those extremes, then there's work that needs to be done. Oh, it's quiet tonight. Would somebody that's listening online at least text me an amen so at least I'm getting it from somewhere? <laughs> Praise God. Now, if you put it, if you're listening on YouTube or Facebook and you put a comment there, I, I can't see it there right now. So uh, I don't want to fire up either of those on my phone right here on the pulpit. Um, so if you don't have my 
cell phone number. Don't worry about it. Um, but my point is this. God wants us boiling hot. Now, the word lukewarm is translated from a Greek word that means tepid. It actually means to make warm. That's what the root means, to make warm. The word tepid, now listen to me, the word tepid means to be moderately warm. Is anybody following what I'm telling you? See, we, we, we hear him condemning Laodicea for being lukewarm. But don't forget that that's lukewarm. It's tepid. It's moderately warm. And so the three categories that I find here in Jesus' words are boiling, cold, or moderately warm. Would you go back and read what Jesus said in that verse, in verse 16? So then, because thou art lukewarm. Because you are just moderately warm. Read. And neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The word spew literally means to vomit. Now listen, church. I know it's really, really quiet. But I want you to understand the desire of God is not that we grow complacent because, well, I've got some Holy Ghost fire burning. Or, well, I'm warmer now than I used to be. The desire of God is that we not be satisfied until we are boiling hot. There ought to be something driving us that I want to be set on fire. I wish somebody's soul would catch on fire, catch on fire, catch on fire. I wish somebody's soul would catch on fire, burning. With the Holy Ghost. Saints, that's what God desires for us and that's what he wants us to desire for ourselves. Rather than patting ourselves on the back that, well, I'm a little better than I was last year. No, 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 no. We still got a long way to go and I'm not going to be satisfied until I am boiling hot. I'm going to keep on working. I'm going to throw some more logs on that fire. I'm going to turn up the heat a little bit more. I'm going to get more of God than I've ever had because God is a consuming fire. You know what I need in my life? I need more Holy Ghost. You know what the answer is for my dilemma? I need more Holy Ghost. When I lose my temper, you need more Holy Ghost. When I'm struggling with addictions, you need more Holy Ghost. 
Well, I'm depressed. You need more Holy Ghost. I'm telling you the answer to every problem is to get more Holy Ghost fire burning in your life. I'm too bashful to witness. You need more Holy Ghost. How far do I go in all this? I think you're getting the point. I think you understand what I'm telling you. It is the Lord's desire that we do more than be content with the fact that the fire's burning. He wants it to be boiling hot. Zestos. He's looking for some Zestos Christians. Well, praise God. And he said, if you remain lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to create more questions than I can give answers tonight. So let's just, let's just move on down to Luke chapter 3, verse 16. I'm skipping a verse here, sister. Uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize, I you, with baptize you with water. But one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. Uh huh. He shall and baptize he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And with fire. And with fire. And with fire. With fire. With fire. With fire. He's going to baptize us with fire. I'm telling you, that's what we need. We need some red-hot prayer meetings. We need some red-hot worship services. You're not going to get the fire by just sitting there. Is anybody hearing me tonight? You're not going to build a fire by just sitting there. You need to be involved in worship. You need to be involved in prayer. You need to be involved while the preacher's preaching. You got to do something to help fan the flame. You want to know the quickest way to catch on fire? Go where there's a fire already burning. It's faster than trying to build one. If there's one already there, jump in the middle of it. You'll catch on fire. Do you understand what I just said? So when the Holy Ghost is moving, well, I don't feel it. You jump in the fire and you'll feel it. Maybe the reason you're not feeling it is you're standing too far from the fire. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm telling you, these last couple of bonfires they build out here, you know, they, they, they want these little short sticks to roast their marshmallows and what have you. Not me. Give me one that's about 10 feet long. I'm, I'll be back here. Thank you very much. I'm going to stay as far from that fire as I can get. I just don't like fires. I don't trust fires. Fires can do a lot of damage in a short amount of time. Ah, I'm going to tell you, 
you get far enough away from the fire, it doesn't really matter how hot it's burning. You're not going to feel it because you're too far away. So, you know, if everybody else is running and shouting and jumping and you're not feeling it, maybe what needs to happen is get a little closer to the fire. My pastor used to always say, when God kisses the earth, I want to be in the middle of a smack. And I'll tell you, he also taught us that right here is where God's going to plant the kiss. It's going to be where his word is going forth. The closer I can get to that kiss, the closer I'm going to be to the smack. If we're talking about fire, this is where the fire is going to fall because this is where the word's being proclaimed. You want to get close to the fire. This is the way to do it. I'm not telling you to put on. I'm not, I don't want any of that. I don't want people faking things. I don't want people pretending. But I am telling you that sometimes you just have to jump into the fire before you really feel the heat. Oh, praise God. And I am telling you, sometimes you may not feel like running, but if that's what everybody else is feeling, you might try a lap. What's it going to hurt? Now, for some of us, it's going to hurt a lot. <laughs> for some of us, I'll just ask the young people, run a lap for me, all right? These old bones are not going to get very far very fast. Ah. But if you can make a lap, make one. You see somebody jumping, you don't have to feel it to jump. In fact, the Bible says to leap for joy. That word for can be translated in order to obtain or so that you can get. You may not have the joy that causes you to want to jump, but you start jumping so you can get some. God's not like a wildfire. Wildfire just spreads. It, it will begin to consume things that don't want to be consumed. That's a wildfire. God's not like a wildfire. God is a very specifically contained fire. And so if you're going to catch on fire with God, you've got to get to where God is. You're not going to get this fire by osmosis. You're not going to get it just because you happen to be in the same service where other people catch on fire. It's going to be intentional. You're going to jump into the fire to get it. But let me tell you, once you start burning, you might just do what they tell you to do. You know, it used to be that, and I guess they still say this, they used to say if you catch on fire, the instructions are, are not run, but stop, Drop and roll. You might try that. You start feeling the fire of the Holy Ghost. Stop. Drop. And roll. Now, even my old bones can handle that. 
For some of us, that's not a matter of arthritis stopping us. It's our pride us. <laughs> well, hallelujah. I know it's quiet. I know, I know, I know. Trying to help you tonight. I, and, and we're probably not going to get any farther than this because we're about to get into a totally new subject. But um, we're probably going to have to stop right here. I've got 10 minutes. And it's magic hour. For those who haven't heard me explain magic hour, that was a name I used for a place I used to be that at certain times service was over whether it was over or not. As far as the people were concerned, they got their sweaters on, they grabbed their bags, they're walking out the door within moments. You might as well just quit because they're done. And the majority of the congregation was that way. Nine o'clock midweek service, nine o'clock. I don't care if you're shouting and dancing. Nine o'clock, they're done. Sunday mornings, it was noon. They're done. So I have jokingly referred to magic hour ever since. I've never forgotten about 9 o'clock midweek service, so I'm, I'm watching it. But I'm, I'm telling you tonight, he's the one that baptizes us. And that's an interesting, read, read that again, Luke 3.16, read that again. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, now notice this. Look at this for just a moment. Look up, look up on the wall. Look at this. I baptize you with water. We understand what the word baptize means, don't we? It, it is, again, a Greek word. Didn't originate with the English language. It's a Greek word. Baptismo. All right, now, this Greek word means to immerse. Not to sprinkle, but to immerse. John said, I immerse you with water. But there's one coming who's mightier than I am. I'm not worthy to even undo his shoes. While I baptize you with water, he's coming to baptize or to immerse you. That's what baptize means. He's coming to immerse you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Jesus is coming, John said. To immerse you with fire. We are so strong on this immersion that I tell people when I put you under, I don't want any part of your body sticking up out of the water. You've heard me say that. Because this is a burial. Buried with him by baptism. When you bury someone, you don't want a hand sticking out of the grave. So this is a burial. It's a complete covering a total immersion. And he said, John said, 
Jesus wants to do the same thing with the Holy Ghost fire that I do with the water. He doesn't want to just sprinkle you with some Holy Ghost. He doesn't want you to just feel a few goosebumps. He doesn't want you to just say a few little words in tongues. He wants to totally immerse you in this fire. Well, hallelujah. He wants you to be completely enclosed, completely covered by the fire of the Holy Ghost. And you know what's interesting here? What's, what's interesting here? What's interesting here is I've never seen people get in their car and chase an ice truck. But there's a lot of folks that when that fire truck's going down the road, they want to go watch it. Ice doesn't attract a lot of a crowd. Ice melting. I know, it gets hot enough. Get some ice, you'll get a crowd. But ice melting doesn't attract much of a crowd. But fire burning sure does. And there was an old-time preacher many years ago that said, if you really want to start a revival, let me tell you how to do it. Set yourself on fire, and they'll come to watch you burn. Now, we're not talking about a physical fire, all right? We're talking about a spiritual fire. You set yourself on fire. That's why these churches that are trying to follow all these fads and do all these crazy things, all, you know what they're doing? They're parading ice trucks around. It's cold. It's calculated. It's cubed. But I want to tell you what I want for the truth church. I want people to hear the sirens going off. In fact, sister, if this is, I hope this is not too much trouble. It's not in my notes, but could you pull up Acts chapter 2 for me? And, and we'll just start with verse number 1. I can quote it, but I want you to see this. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Can you pull that up for me? Read, read for me. Acts chapter 2 beginning with verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost, when the day of come, Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord, they were all with one one accord in one place. Suddenly there came, Suddenly a, sound there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, as mighty, of a rushing wind, mighty wind. And it filled all, it filled the, house all the house where they, they were sitting. sitting. And there appeared unto there them, appeared unto them tongues, cloven tongues like as of, fire. Like as of ice. The first time the Holy Ghost ever showed up, it came like a fire. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, that's what needs to happen. When we gather in this place, I want the fire to burn. I want something to be set on fire in this house. I want us gathering in here praying and worshiping until the fire falls. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, Lord. 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 Yes, Lord.
Oh, let that fire burn bright in me. Let that fire blaze in my heart, in my soul. Does anybody feel that way tonight? I want to be on fire for God. I've got to say this. I'm closing. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try to go much further. Uh, back to my notes, back to the list. I've skipped over some verses here. Um, 2 Corinthians 3 and 2. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 2 ye, says this. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Now, what, the reason I wanted this scripture, and I'm closing if the musicians would come. I, the reason I wanted this scripture is because he said, you are our epistle and you're known and read of all men. God wants our spiritual condition to be readily obvious to everybody. He wants it readily obvious. He wants everybody to know what our condition is. Now, now let me just, I've got to say this too. While we're on the subject of hot or cold, when the Lord said, I would that you were hot or cold, please don't think he's saying, I want you to backslide. He's saying, I don't want you riding the fence. You'd be better off spiritually, really, to just be cold than you are just trying to straddle the fence. part Christian, part sinner. He wants us to be on fire. But there's another side to that as well. And let me just mention it to you that, let me remind you that there were those who felt like the cold waters of Colossae were healing waters. They were refreshing waters. And I think it's very possible that what the Lord is saying when he says, I would that you were hot or cold, is not that I either want you completely on fire for God or just backslid altogether. But maybe what he's saying is, I want you full of zeal or I want you out there refreshing others. I want you out there winning others or refreshing those that are tired and weary. Hot or cold. But don't be lukewarm. Don't have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Plant both feet firmly in the kingdom of God. Be on fire for God. 